Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. I'm Tom Douglas, and my cohort, Mr. Terry Rotoro, the chef in the chapeau, is taking another day off. Pamela, another our producer. Another trip to California. What the heck? <laughs> I'm jealous. Yeah, last week it was Willie Nelson. This week, it was, who's it going to be? A, w- a wedding. A wedding. Set. Okay. Maybe it's Willie's wedding. As you can probably hear, I have a bit of a, a cold today. I've been tested. Told everyone here in our live audience. You know, we're back to a live studio audience and and uh, had my second test this morning. I'm totally... It's true. I am negative. I am a negative person. Oh, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have such a big show today, two hours long. We have peak of the season, and you mentioned pot pies, and I thought it was so funny because yesterday I have this little pot pie soup story that I want to talk about. Oh, good. Today is good my timing. Taste of the week. Uh, Shota Nakajima is here. He brings samples of his new sauce. He sent me a jar in more packaging than it would take to pack the Space Needle, <laughs> and uh, I forgot to taste it before the show, so hopefully he brings a jar I with I hope him. he brings it. Molly Anderson is here today. She's the pastry chef for the Dahlia Bakery. If you haven't been across the street here from the beautiful Hotel Andra, where we tape our show at the hot stove, uh, you deserve a little stroll about and uh, try some of her pastries. I see some sitting behind me. And, you know, when you, do come, uh, when you do come to the show here, you get breakfast. You know, one of the things that I noticed on the breakfast thing when we started last week with is that uh, we have our delicious Dahlia Bakery breakfast sandwiches. And I was told by some producer of this show, I'm not sure who, that <laughs> she was going to be making the breakfast for the room. Yeah, that was as we that went idea forward. just evaporated. <laughs> I think there was a revolt. Those breakfast sandwiches are good. Oh, just but I'm, I haven't given up. Good. Give up now. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about uh, the seasonal goodies in uh, every pastry piece. Pastry case around the city, not just ours, because uh, it's that time of year. Lamb shanks for the win. We're going to talk about uh, braising a little bit. And lamb shanks are funny. You know, as a young chef, I was put lamb shanks on because they were like 50 cents a piece. And, you know, it was a cheap meal because it takes so much prep time to make them, right? Just like osabuco or any sort of roast that you're, you're, you're braising. Now, when I go to buy lamb shanks, they're like $12 a pound. Oh, or veal shanks are $20 a pound. And uh, because people love to braise. And so let's talk about braising a little bit. And, and a personality test. Tell me about this, Pamela. A personality test on Thanksgiving sides. Like, I, for one, love stuffing with gravy. So what does that make me? <laughs> this is a very clever idea that Bon Appetit has on their website. You take the personality test, and then it, tell, it gives you a recipe for an innovative new Thanksgiving side dish that matches your personality. So I can't wait to see how you score. No kidding. <laughs> huh. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. And then, of course, we're going to finish up our two-hour show with our Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Two people in our audience today, two brave souls that are willing to be crushed by this mighty chef. <laughs> yes, you should. They don't, even, they don't even blink anymore because they know that I'm just hot air. Uh uh, yeah, two brave souls are going to come up and play our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Looking forward to that. And my Taste of the Week, I was telling you, you know, when Chef Terry's here, his Taste of the Week is almost always, 100% of the time, something that he's made. <laughs> he is very fond of his cooking. and uh, For good reason. Either he never goes out or he only likes to talk about things that he's made. My Taste of the Week today, you know, I have an I have a adjective that I use. It is some of my highest form of compliment. Do you know what that adjective is? Does anyone in the audience know what that adjective is? 
trashy. I had a trashy good taste of the week today. Or I had it uh, two days ago. And there's a market that I drive by every day on my way to our warehouse down in Ballard. It's called the Take 5 Urban Market at 67th and 8th Northwest. And I've I, always wanted to go in there. I rarely stop. I, honestly, I, I rarely stop, although I like the idea of the place. And yeah. I stopped the other day, I, and they had, you know, I was in the mood for soup. It was cold, wet, rainy. I was in the mood for soup, and they had turkey pot pie soup. <laughs> and, then, and then I get the show sheet, and you're saying, we're going to talk about pot pies today. So it's like... The universe is colliding. They also had a spicy Moroccan vegetable, so mm. it was like, hmm... Turkey pot pie soup with, with pie shards or a Moroccan vegan vegetable soup? No. <laughs> Gee, let me guess which, which exactly. one you got. So I got this soup, and I didn't have the highest expectations. She said that they had served it once a while back and that it became the house favorite. And by golly, it tasted like pot pie, but it was a soup. <laughs> and I've done soups like this after Thanksgiving where I've used my leftover gravy yes. to kind of make a, a, a thicker broth. Uh, and it, uh, it was so delicious. And here's the thing. I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to insult them at all by calling it trashy. You know, like I said, that's one of my highest forms. It's like I could eat this every week. I think it's pretty simple what they did is my guess. Like a bag of frozen cut vegetables is, you know, the pot pie ingredients. The turkey looked like chunks of the turkey deli turkey that they had in the case. Um, so it's not like, I don't know this for a fact. We should get them on. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to trash them, but I'm saying very nice things about this soup. That, but I thought it was such a simple idea. Was it thick, though, like a gravy? or was Not it quite brothy? as thick as a gravy. No, it was not brothy, but it wasn't as thick as a gravy. They did a nice job. It was perfect to, um, to make it feel pot pie-like. Mm. With all, all the right ingredients. But the, the real trashy part was the pie shards. <laughs> they took pie crust and they broke it up and put it on top. And it was delicious. And it was like, I bet it came out of a frozen box or something. I don't, <laughs> a nice shortcut. To, yeah. So I'm all about shortcuts. I have no problem with shortcuts. I remember I once did a, a recipe for Nancy Silverton's book on shortcuts. About making a stir fry out of pot stickers from Costco and vegetables. And I have no problem with shortcuts. Now, Terry, you know, Terry's not here, so we can trash him all day. Yeah, let's go for now, it. Terry, no shortcuts for that man. <laughs> no. I had a, a, a taste experience last night that was um, incredible. I had my convection oven on 450 and put in some very expensive chanterelles that I had drizzled with olive oil and then walked away and forgot about them. So they kind of burnt to that crispy blackness. And then they were so incredibly delicious it was like eating bacon you know they got smoky but then they were still a little soft on the inside and i'm always going to burn my chanterelles now well i think all mushrooms benefit from that kind of reduction because mushrooms are 90 percent water and so they tend to be a little bit bland until you reduce 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 them down to some yeah that's a good point it really concentrated the mushroominess I wish I'd had, have you guys bought um, the Red Boat sea salt, the dry version of it? You know, you, you get the fish sauce, obviously, but now they have the powdered, and I've been using that on mushrooms a lot. So Good, um, good umami quality. Okay, pot pies are next. We're going to come right back here from the Hotel Under at the Hot Stove Society show um, in about a, a minute or two on Cairo.
And we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo. My name is Tom Douglas. Flying solo today. Chef Terry is down. Is he getting married, like remarried, or is he going to a wedding? He's going to a wedding. He's going to a wedding in California. Hopefully, when he comes back, he'll regale us with stories of places that he ate, uh, the event food. You know, we used to cater so many weddings, and since COVID, we haven't catered a wedding. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a total total different game these days. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about pot pies today. I mentioned earlier my taste of the week was a pot pie, turkey pot pie soup. I think the point being you can make a pot pie, a shepherd's pie, a any sort of pie like that out of most anything. And Sean, you were going to t- uh, you told me during the uh, break that uh, you hosted a pot pie class here at the hot stove with Shama Josie. Yeah, we had a night uh, class a couple nights back, and yeah, just an amazing. I think it really is speaks to like the versatility of the pot pie, uh-huh. which um, sometimes uh, I think we kind of lost our romance with this along this point when the hot pocket came out. In that, it's like, I think there was like well, a sometimes paradigm it falls shift. into that greasy yeah, diner yeah, kind of yeah. food that people say, "Oh, I'm not going to eat that it's greasy diner kind of food." Right, right. But it is kind of like it's you mentioned, trashy good. Trashy good, uh, totally. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But this was a great. Uh, she took a butter chicken recipe, uh, curried, made the curried chicken, and then just sort of folded that into uh, puff pastry, uh, sort of like a little hand pie. Or uh-huh. you know, you could always just put your uh, um, uh, in, filling into a baking safe dish and just top it with a little right. crust like that. So it's, she actually chilled it and then made the hand pie out of it? You couldn't do that with hot stuffing. Yeah, so um, we pretty much, yeah, we in the cook-along process, we gave them about uh, 15, 20 minutes to let their stuff cool down while they okay. made a salad and stuff. Uh-huh. So we kind of, yeah, just kind of had it woven into the, the cheated process. cheated a little like bit. That. We did. We, that's what we like tried that. to do. We tried to make it, you know. And so did it work? Did you it, you tried it? It, it totally was. It, it was the first class, and anytime we're kind of rolling out a first class, there's always a question mark with twenty plus people cooking the same dish <laughs> right. in synchronicity. To you know, success rate. We uh, but great success rate. Everyone was super happy, and they got this huge. You know what cooked up to be like twice the size of the original product. This uh-huh. nice little uh, tur- uh, chicken pot pie. So yeah, interesting and you nice know. seasonings. I think that's what was interesting about the recipe: the garam masala, yeah, coriander. I mean, she really dialed it up. She, yeah. What I love about Shama, she really gets outside of the box sometimes. Of what we even like Western curries and things like that, and how you know you buy a blend or something like that. She really just goes from scratch and shows you the process that she's learned. Through family and, you know. And she teaches here pretty often, right? Isn't yeah, it? I think she's got a few dates coming up in... Yep, in the spring. Spring. Yeah. Awesome. Fun. awesome. I have not seen her class yet. Yeah. I'm looking forward yeah, to she's that. She's great. Great energy. She's, got, she's beautiful and she's got a beautiful accent. Yeah. <laughs> so we want her around. Oh, okay. That, that makes all the difference. <laughs> it all the difference. <laughs> uh, I love Popeyes. I, I make them fairly rarely, though, because they're a pain in the butt. You know, I don't know if you guys all feel that way out there in the audience, but... Um, they take time and effort. Now, if you're using leftovers, like leftover Thanksgiving dinner, and you've got gravy already made, and you've got yams and this and that, and all you're adding is a few frozen peas or something of that nature, then it's much easier. But starting from scratch, to me, it's the perfect time to kind of large your pantry or your freezer with maybe a half a dozen uh, pot pies and so that you have them ready to go. Like um, like what I do with soup, right? When I make soup, I make enough to make six or eight 
pints of soup so that I, they're ready to go whenever I want soup. So That's brilliant. Uh, I mean, once you're set up, you might as well just produce a big batch. Right. Have it in a freezer. That would feel so comforting. Well, I made a pot pie the other night, and I think that's probably why some of this conversation is here. So I went to Beast and Cleaver, which is your favorite. Speaking of beautiful with an accent, Kevin is beautiful with an accent. Totally. Yeah. Every weekend. Yeah. But he doesn't work on Sundays when I go. Does your husband know about this meat, <laughs> yeah, he this meat affair that you're having? <laughs> he does. He does. Okay, good. Because my wife is seeing him when you're not seeing him. So uh, anyway, I bought these big long bone short ribs. And in my first book, I have a recipe ah. for long bone short ribs. And so also, they're very hard to find. I don't know if you ever go and you see short ribs in the supermarket. And in the case, you know, usually they are at maximum three to four inches long. And they have the big chunk of meat on them, but it's all about the bone. Well, these were never cut, so these are over 12 inches long. They were gorgeous. They were beautiful. And even Pamela liked them. And mm-hmm. They were like Flintstone bones. <laughs> but um, anyway, so I braised those off. We had long bone short ribs for dinner, and I had all this meat left over, and I had all this sauce left over, and all these peppers and onions from the farm. And I still have a, a quart of frozen peas from the farm. <laughs> And so, uh, and then in my freezer, I keep grilled corn from cornbread all winter long. And I know this just sounds really kind of weird, but in the summer, when the corn is at its peak, I buy a dozen ears and I grill it hard, char it off mm. over the charcoal so it's nice and smoky. And I take it off the cob and I freeze it in little containers for cornbread. Cornbread. Later in the winter. So it tastes like summertime cornbread. One of my favorite flavors. And by the way, if you've been to. Fred Meyer lately, which I have been to. First time I've been in the Fred Meyer in probably five years. I'm surprised. Yeah, I was at the Fred Meyer on 85th. Jiffy cornbread mix, 25 cents a box. (laughs) 25 cents a box. I'm just saying. And they have cornered the market on jelly cranberry. There were thousands of cans of jelly cranberry. I can stop on my way home because I just read a spoon corn spoon bread recipe that was based in Jiffy. But you add so much cream and eggs and fresh corn and like, yes. Yeah, it doesn't. Rec- you don't recognize. It's like eighty dollars for the rest of it. Only right. a quarter for the jiffy. Only twenty five cents yeah. for the jiffy. So pot pie. It's important to me that you have the gravy and then you get it chilled. All the veggies are where you want them and you get it chilled. The other thing you can't do is just put it all in a big bowl. If you're making six, you can't put all that in a big bowl. You have to put your meat in each. Of your your baking casseroles, and then you put your vegetable mix in each of your casseroles because you don't want to end up with chicken pot pie without any chicken in it. Disgraceful, right? And you know, you see us make fifty at a time here for the Dahlia Bakery freezer. We do every one individually, and then we stir in the right amount of gravy individually for each of those little pot pies. And it's um, it's important to do that. And lots of fresh herbs, salt and pepper. What's my secret ingredient? Does anyone know my secret pantry favorite ingredient? Becky probably knows. No, it is, it is really good. In every but Chipotle pie. Tabasco. Chipotle Tabasco. It gives oh. you a little heat so you don't need as much salt, and it gives you a little smokiness from the Chipotle. So I use that in so many things. And it's just that secret thing that you don't know that's there. And then either make a pie crust or they, make, they sell so many good pie crust, all butter crust in the market, that Dufour brand. Is that a great product? I think it's delicious. Uh, we keep it in our freezer for emergencies. D-U-F-O-U-R, I believe, yeah. before. And uh, you just got to pull it out of the freezer for an hour before you're ready to use it. And it makes a great little pot pie crust. But herbs, fresh herbs. Don't forget to stir in 
but don't cook the fresh herbs. Let the herbs cook when you're reheating the pot pie or when you're baking the pot pie. You don't want to cook herbs twice. No. No way. You know what I miss? That lamb neck one you used to do. That pot, pot pie. pie. Yeah. Was it just too labor-intensive yeah. to process the meat? I lost $10 on every $15 <laughs> pot pie. That's good economics. <laughs> but that made such a savory, beautiful contrast to the crust. Yeah. You know, that's a question we keep having in our company, and I'd be curious if our listeners want to weigh in on this uh, through email or not, but are people willing to pay what it costs anymore? And so that's the question we were having pre-COVID. We're certainly having it post-COVID because labor is up about 25 or 30% since COVID hit. And are people willing, you know, we had this question internally, our English muffins, our homemade English muffins, which I think are delicious and you're going to experience this morning, are so good. But there's six English muffins for what, over there, $15? 15. $15. And one of my workers was saying, how can you charge that? I said, how can I not? I, that's what it costs. And when you think about it, that's two and a half dollars a piece. So when you go to a Starbucks or someplace like that and you buy a muffin, you're going to pay three, four, five dollars for it. But in a freezer case, it feels different. And so that's the question that we're having as a company. It's like, where do you draw the line and what are people willing to spend money on if you have a living wage, benefits, not overworking during a shift, things like that, you know, all the things that you, you are the right thing to do. Maybe we can get some feedback during the break. Yeah, maybe so. All right, Shota Nakajima is going to visit with us and his new teriyaki sauce in tow on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We're here in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia, above uh, Lola Restaurant, which opened last week. We're very excited about that. And, of course, in the Hotel Andra, which is brand new, newly remodeled and very fresh, I will say. Fresh looking. Um, we're going to have, uh, well, we do have uh, right here in the studio, Shota Nakajima for two segments. And... First one, congrats. Uh, we, when you were here last, we weren't allowed to talk about your, the winner of your show, I don't believe, yes. on Top Chef. Yes, we weren't allowed to. We yeah. weren't allowed to, but now you can tell us what happened. Yes. For those of us who heard your segment but still don't know what ah, happened. Um, it's going to be airing on Hulu next year. I'm sure. <laughs> um, it, it, I, I came in second place uh-huh. um, as one of the finalists. Uh, very close. It was controversial, right? Because it was, yeah, it was very close as well. A uh, little controversial. Uh-huh. Um, crazy experience. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, harder than I thought. A hundred times harder than I thought. <laughs> Which is different than my experience. You know, I just did the one episode of Iron Chef, and so that was much easier than what you really think. So yeah. in a funny way. So it was, I would um, imagine week to week to week to week, and then have to sit on the information for how many months did you... could. You we, not say a word. We we filmed and we're quarantined in a bubble for two months, um, and you know they take your phones, computer, right. radio, TV away, uh, and then you have to wait about six months six before months. you can say anything about I know. it. Isn't publicly. it crazy? I mean, I told my mom and dad and my dog. I told my dog everything. Right. <laughs> I'm glad you came clean to the dog. Yeah, I, I my show was seven months after I taped it. Yeah, and the weird thing about my show was I we watched it as a group, three hundred of us over at the ballroom watched it as a group, and the way they cut the show, I thought I had lost. 
It's like, wait a minute, I thought I won seven months ago, but they cut it in a way to make it feel like I was going to lose. Ah. That was, I was distraught after all that. So it's, but, it's funny, right? When you rewatch it, it almost takes you back right in that moment. Yeah. When, and like every single time I rewatch any cooking competitions or whatever, it gives me slight anxiety. <laughs> it also is just weird. We watched ours, ours the other night here in the studio. I can't remember why we put it on. It was some event that we were doing, but um, we just watched like a minute of it or something. And uh, you're stuck in time. And that's why I think it's so hard for actors and actresses sometimes as they age out of their performances. Yeah. You're stuck in time forever and ever in that one movie. And that's what people love about you. I, I'm, then, I'm planning to rewatch Top Shop when I'm 65 and I can't move. It's hard being like, yo, look at that kid. <clears throat> Tell us about uh, your restaurant when you were here last. Uh, we're going to. Uh, you were opening Taku, uh, I believe was how you spell it, T-A-K-U, right? Yes. And uh, and your new teriyaki sauce, and tell us all about what's going on today. Let's forget about Top Chef for a while. Um, so I I forgot exactly. At the beginning of the year, I opened Taku um, as a to-go restaurant, um, like everyone did in quarantine. And we've, we specified in Japanese karage, which is a Japanese fried chicken. It's marinated in soy sauce, sake, Ginger, garlic, all the yummy stuff. Mm. Uh, it's a light batter, but it stays pretty crunchy on the outside as well. And we opened the inside, I'd say, about three months later, late spring. And now we're in full operation. Uh, we're here Wednesday through Sunday, uh, 3 till 2 mm-hmm. as of right now. Um we don't have a late night menu, but we're working on a fun late night menu because, you know, there's not a lot of places to eat good, like rice cozy dishes um which is something that i really like so yeah. uh trying to start that in the next month or so and um yeah i worked on launching my first retail product um studying kind of what you did uh-huh. what a lot of other mentors did and um yeah well it's important retail good. in a funny way is an important transition because it is it diversifies your business right so yes. When, when we when the COVID hit, you know, we lost all of our businesses. We immediately opened, like you did, to go out in Ballard. But at the same time, our retail line doubled in sales. Yeah. Because people were going to the grocery stores and buying all that sort of... So it was, it was a nice diversification to have in our portfolio. The problem yeah. came down the path, though, was that, like everyone else, I couldn't get jars then because everyone was doubling in sales in the stores. And so I ran out of jars for six months. They couldn't get me jars. I think I, I remember spice rub. Yeah, about So that. it was crazy how, you know, you have this bright star in your business line. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're out of business because you can't get jars. So. Yeah. But it's smart. You know, like pre-COVID, I didn't have a backup plan. So when right. the restaurant failed, I, I genuinely did not have anything to fall back on. Right. So, you know, it, it makes sense that, you know, it's it's a very fun learning experience, completely different. Um, and I like the fact that I just get to talk to more people and work with more right. people and dig people's brain doing these kinds so of So tell work. us about teriyaki sauce. What makes yours different? And uh, it is such a, well, I w- I'm going to call it ubiquitous because it's in all the groceries and just like ketchup or salsa or anything like that these days. But... It has a it has a unique element to it that sweet salty that people love. So I guess I'm gonna kind of explain uh, how I understand Japanese food. And Japanese food is broken into uh, widely three things, which is let's say it's a one 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 ratio. The first one is the empty or mommy flavor, which is your stock, your dashi. It can be water, um, and then your next one is your saltiness. So soy sauce, salt. Um, 
you know, anything that has sodium. Mm-hmm. And then your third one is going to be sweetness, and it's the balance of that. So in Japanese cuisine, for example, a tempura dipping sauce is a 5-1-1, dashi 5, soy sauce 1, mirin 1. Uh, udon soup in Tokyo is going to be a 12-1-1, where it's 12 dashi, 1 soy sauce, 1 mirin. Mm-hmm. So in Japanese cuisine, the balance of soy sauce and sweetness is something um, that's used in almost all the dishes. And when you go work in Japan, that's the thing that you go learn. You learn your chef's definition of 1-1. Right. Because everyone has a different definition right, of right. what 1-1 actually means. And I wanted to kind of launch my version of that because I, you know, I grew up in Seattle eating Seattle teriyaki. My mom packed it for lunch with rice bowls all the time yeah. too. Um, I grew up actually on Yoshida's teriyaki. Me too. I still, I still, I, I love it. I, I yeah. love both. You know what yeah. I mean? It, I think it's different. Um, it's, yeah, it's more like one two. Yeah, it's more sugar than salt. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little different, and I wanted to kind of do one so I have a base to. Not just do teriyaki, but be able to dilute it and make braises or use it as a saute because it has that one-one ratio. And I, I added nutritional yeast because I personally think it almost tastes like mushroom umami mm-hmm. uh, when you put it in, especially with the balance of soy sauce um, and garlic, ginger, and a good amount of uh, ses- ground sesame in there just to kind of get that nice toasty aroma. And we blitz it really quick in a big machine um, until it gets hot. So that heat from the machine kind of toasts it and it gets aromatic and then we put it into squeeze bottles and put the lid on tight so that way it tries to it holds that a little bit better right the emulsion yeah yeah interesting it is um yoshi you know the wajimaya family kind of made their business their early business on selling and opening all these little um teriyaki businesses their soy sauce and their chicken and yeah and thing in uh it's uh, an interesting transformation how it became part of everyone's like Dick's, right? Dick's Burgers, Yoshi Teriyaki. So yeah, yeah. so uh, you know Toshi's Teriyaki yes. in Seattle. So I, uh, his kids, twins, are my age, and I literally grew up with them. So when I hung, hung out with them, I would go to their dad's place and go get teriyaki. So that's like another weird, fun connection. Of yeah, why I probably just grew up eating teriyaki all the uh-huh. time. <laughs> So when you say you can use it in all sorts of things, depending on your taste profile, so a popular dish that my daughter makes, I make, is called red pork, right, where it's it's literally slow-braised pork butt in a, a mixture, not unlike teriyaki sauce. Is it good for that? It's great for that, too. I've done a few braises with it, um, root vegetable braises. I've done protein as well, where I've pressure-cooked some pork belly first and then added this sauce in and reduced it. And kind of glazed it up, added some fat aromatics to it, uh-huh. uh, and it comes out very nice. It's it, it's a very easy, cheap way of doing fine dining right. with a lot of flavor into right. it already. Cheap is, I mean, it's important. A, a pork butt is what three bucks a pound. Yeah, and it goes a long ways. I mean, yeah. it does have fat, which makes it delicious. Yeah, but it does it does go a long ways, and it's an inexpensive way to feed your family. Yeah, hundred percent. Any other areas before we have to take a break uh, that you love your sauce? It's it's great camping. I go camping a lot. So when I when I go forage or whatever, it's a great thing to have. I can marinate meats with it. I can cook mushrooms with it and whatnot. So one bottle, why not? One bottle, <laughs> all purpose. One bottle, a little bit like fish sauce for me. I've I've be, I've started putting fish sauce in pretty much everything yeah. for that umami quality. Yeah, uh, certainly for fish sauce quality when I want it. Yeah. But as an underneath flavor, uh, when I don't want a direct fish sauce, I just want the umami quality out of it. 
We're talking with uh, Shoto Nakajima. Uh, he has uh, got a new teriyaki sauce out there, and uh, people can buy it where at this point? Uh, right now, they can buy it on Wajimaya, uh, buy it at Wajimaya at our local store. Uh, we do have it on Amazon, but we're out, and we're going to get restocked at the end of, or sorry, the beginning of December. Okay. Uh, right in time for the holidays, and we'll keep producing more and more. All right. When we come back, let's talk about your restaurant, Taku, and fried chicken and all the things that make it perfect food. Fried chicken is perfect food. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We're taking care of some details during our breaks, including who's doing the laundry in your house, who does the dishes, (laughs) me, who does the laundry, me, who vacuums, me. Shota, what do you do? My mom. Oh! (laughs) Shota Nakajima is here, and... uh, we were talking about his teriyaki sauce on the last segment, but let's talk about Taku. You said you um, opened uh, outdoors for COVID. You're back indoors now for a couple of months. But it's all about the fried chicken. Yes. And people dig fried chicken. I, uh, when we opened Carlisle Room, we added a chicken schnitzel to, me- to the menu, which is basically fried chicken, breaded fried chicken. It's our number one seller by far of, of anything else on the menu, including steak and salmon and hush puppies and squid and all that kind of stuff uh tell us about your fried chicken and and kind of inherently what makes it special to you why you loved it enough to create a whole restaurant around it you know in in japan when i lived in japan you go to 7-elevens every 7-eleven every gas station has chicken karage which is the japanese style fried chicken uh it's a dish that my mom would make if it was my birthday or my brother's birthday because we both loved it it's fried chicken my mom didn't really like frying all the time at home because you know it's a mess. Uh-huh. Now I understand. Uh, I didn't when I was younger. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I was like, hey, what is what is comfortable for people? What is comfortable for me? Something I want to eat every single day. I was like, hey, fried chicken. Why not? Why not try to learn more and more about something that I love? Because, you know, you open a restaurant and then, you know, certain things about cooking. But then you start to learn the more more and more about it as you operate every day you learn the little mistakes or lessons or whatever to try to find what the best version is and that's kind of been a fun journey uh we're still tweaking the recipe literally every single day it's like hey how about if we did it like this or we change the battering procedure Uh to this or um changing our frying method or frying temperature to see how the protein structure changes um and it's 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 a fun fun journey. I know it's just a piece of fried chicken, but um, well, it's interesting when you get a fancy chef, and you're a fancy chef. You've cooked up from Top Chef, your own restaurant. I mean, tasting menus. You've you've done a lot of that kind of work, and it's interesting for a fancy chef to try and make a decision to, um, and I think often the wrong decision to elevate. So somehow you're going to make it better, or to go traditional. What it's been what's been happening for hundreds of years in Japan. So how did you? How did you balance that? I think, I think like anything, adapting is important. And in Japan, when you say chicken karage, you don't expect crunchy. Oh, you really? expect soy sauce flavor and ginger flavor, and that's the bigger part. Uh, There's a lot of karage that's not crunchy. But in the U.S., if you say fried chicken and it's not crunchy, people, people start to get confused. And it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's just the difference in culture but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it is fried chicken so i'm trying to constantly find that balance where it stays crunchy 
but it's thin batter. It holds that integrity of soy sauce, ginger, marinade, um, and trying to find the balance between that because I, I do get it. I love crunchy as well. And if I can have chicken karage that sits for an hour in a box and can stay crunchy, that's what I want to keep shooting for. So that's that's the fun journey. And, you know, we have a wet version, so sometimes it gets soggy. But, okay, how do we add more? Do we add a little bit of rice flour to this to make it hold? Or do we do a second coating on the outside where the outside layer is rice flour? So the inside does get soaked, but the outside stays crunchy even if it sits for an hour in right. sauce. And yeah, it's it's nerd talk at this point. But. <laughs> <laughs> Nerdy fried chicken talk. You know, Korean fried chicken is so popular right yes. now, and it has gone crazy. Is there a difference between the basic recipe for Japanese fried chicken and Korean fried chicken? I'm sure there is, but is I would say the big part is um, Korean fried chicken and um, American both have batter on the outside, compared to Japanese is usually just coated starch. On the outside only, uh-huh. so it's not a batter, um, and you know th- there's there's hard parts about it because if there's a thick batter around ingredients, let's say temper or whatnot, the way it cooks is it actually cooks as almost a steamed dish because of the batter on the outside, and it's only cooking with the moisture that's kept inside. But with this kind of weird version of only potato starch, it doesn't always come out like that. So the texture is different, um, just the cooks different and. Yeah. Well, people have to recognize that it's also a marinated chicken, so there's a moisture there to pick up that starch. Yeah. 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 And it's in trying to fry it for a long time to hold it to be crispy like you can with a mar- or you know, a lot of the brine methods that they have over here. Uh-huh. You can't do that because there's a lot of soy sauce in it. And if you try to fry it for a long time, it ends up burning. So, you know, we tried adding a little bit of citric acid and a tiny bit of vodka to it just so helps evaporation and dehydrates yeah try to control that <laughs> control that chaos uh-huh. uh, especially if when you're doing you know hundreds of pounds at a day and just trying to make sure there's some consistency to it so let's talk about that because you're fat when you start at five o'clock at night let's just say you opened at five your fat by seven o'clock is very different than your fat at five o'clock yeah because you've done 20 40 100 orders of chicken and it, you're, even the color of your fat is different. So how do you manage the consistency on your deep fry, deep fry fat? So one big thing that I did put my money into for the restaurant is self-filtering fryers, just because that's the main thing we're doing. So there still is that issue that at the end of the night, it does get a little bit darker, but it, it slows the process down a lot because compared to a traditional commercial fryer in restaurants where you have to get a big pot open it or connect something to open it people can't walk by because there's hot oil dripping by um it's a self-filtering so you can walk by and literally press a button and it filters it for you at within 30 seconds and is hot within a minute back again so it it helps kind of that operation of trying to preserve it but it's not be consistent i mean consistency is everything right yeah but it's it's not perfect yet like we're not close to perfect i don't think we're even close, don't tell my managers, they're doing a wonderful job. But, you know, I think it's, it's that mentality, too, of like, hey, how can you always make it better? Right. There's the conversation about once you do get it out of the fryer, and, and then uh, you do have a wet version and a dry version. So the dry version is just fried chicken, and with uh, probably a seasoning salt is my guess. But uh, the wet version, um, what do you like to put on? Uh, Other than your brand new teriyaki sauce. It's It's... 
teriyaki sauce and spicy teriyaki sauce. Spicy. That we have on. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's that cozy flavor. Like I I remember why I put that on the menu because my junk food and when I was in high school was getting fried chicken, toss it in teriyaki sauce, dip it in kewpie and chilies, and eat it with rice. That was my go to snack. Right. Very healthy. Yes. Very healthy. Kewpie, <laughs> by the way, is a little sweet Japanese mayonnaise. Yes. Um, and uh, oftentimes paired up with like tonkatsu sauce and yes. things like that. So it is trashy good. Yes. And uh, that's, that's our highest form of compliment on this show is yeah. trashy good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one last thing I'm always baffled by, uh, and we only have a minute, is the tempura. This is off the fried chicken, but more the tempura into a broth. Yes. And you see that all the time in soups and stuff like that, where they put fr- crispy fried food into a, a hot broth. And by the time you eat it, it's not crispy fried food anymore. What is? I know that's a traditional thing, but what do you think about that? It's so it's a different perspective. It's not eating fried food to eat crunchy. It's uh-huh. adding fat content into the into soup. The soup. Yeah. yeah. So that's so it holds warmer, especially wintertime when you're eating udon, and uh-huh. you know fat warms your body up. Kind of like if you're really cold out in nature, yeah, you're calories, about to get yeah, for sure. Hyperthemia, you got to eat butter is what they tell you. And uh-huh. I think it's kind of the same mentality when it's wintertime. You see a lot of people ordering more tempura dishes and warm udons and putting a bunch of chilies in. So they just... Yeah, as a, as a dumb American, it just never made sense to me because tempura was always that delicious, crunchy thing. And the way you've explained it, it makes perfect sense. So. Hey, but, you know, the best version is where they have it in the soup and they give you crunchy on the side too because there's some places that do that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. that. Uh, Shota Nakajima has been our guest. Go out there and get his brand new teriyaki sauce at uh, Wajamaya or it'll be back in stock on Amazon in the beginning of December. Check out his restaurant, Taku, up on Capitol Hill. And thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, guys. We have another whole hour of Hot Stove Society radio show. Stay with us on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Radio Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's time for hour number two. Thanks for hanging with us. We love having you. We're seeing you on Facebook Live, our new, brand new live audience. Hey! Thank you for being here. How was your breakfast sandwich? Good coffee? How's the service around here? Perfect. Good. All right, I'm Tom Douglas, and I'm uh, flying solo today without uh, Mr. Terry Rotaro, the chef in the chapeau, who is, uh, I will say once again, on vacation. Uh, it seems uh, a little ridiculous. I know he did retire from his restaurants, but it's making me, it's making me upset how much <laughs> vacation jealous. time he's getting. Yeah. Molly Anderson is sitting in his chair for the moment. She's going to talk about her seasonal creations at the Dahlia Bakery as, uh, as the Dahlia Bakery, Bakery pastry chef. And so, um, hello, Molly. Hi. Hello. Uh, We've been seeing so many interesting things coming out of the pastry kitchen these days. And uh, as the seasons change, so do our offerings. Tell us what you've been putting out there in the cases lately. Sure. So um, our two actually biggest sellers are sitting up here right now. Um, Closest to me is the apple, caramel apple spice cake. Um bunch of different fun layers of fall flavor in there and then the cheesecake actually is our lead uh, eric's creation he's wonderful and he did a salted dolce de leche cheesecake wow little brown sugar mascarpone on top 
Let's go back to the caramel apple cake for a minute because it's a classic kind of a sheet pan cake, I will call it, mm-hmm. that is layers and layers, but they look completely soaked. What's the key to being uh, successful when you're when you want a cake to stand up and mm-hmm. still be super wet and not have it just like go splash on your, you know what I'm saying, just yeah. like lose it on the on the on the plate. Uh, so the biggest thing is choosing ingredients or components that are moist when you eat it, but that you can oops, that you can set firm. I guess so sturdy. I mean, they mean yeah. what do you mean by that? Like so the. Um, Apple marmalade that's actually in between the cake and the mousse um, is because it's apple. It's really sturdy and you can cook it for a long time. There's a lot of sugar in it and a lot of natural pectin too, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you, yeah, they're Granny Smith. So it's green apple. It's it's pretty much all pectin. When you cook it, you make a caramel first, so it really solidifies the sugar. Put your apples in, and it releases the pectin, and it stiffens up really, really nicely. But when you eat it. It's not gummy. You can't tell that it's it's set pretty hard. Um, same with the white chocolate mousse. Adding chocolate into anything um, will set fairly firm eventually, but adding the gelatin in there gives it the sturdiness to stand up but still be sliceable. It doesn't weep then with the gelatin, right? So, it shouldn't, yeah. And is there a classic French term when you add gelatin to a pastry cream like that or the mousse? It's just mousse. Just yeah. mousse, I All think, right. yeah. And so the cake itself is a genoise? Classic? It, it is k- kind of a mixture. It, this okay. cake in particular is a little bit weird. Why do bakers do that? Why do you have to make things so damn complicated? Yeah. We just like to make sure that nobody else can do it. Oh, I see what that is. <laughs> um, the cake itself is a little bit different. There's no eggs in it. It is the, All the liquid that's in there is uh, dark rum, which is delicious. Uh, and buttermilk, so it's uh-huh. super, super fatty, which keeps it nice and soft. And tart. And, buttermilk adds tartness. And springy, yeah. 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 Uh, so the cake is dark rum, buttermilk, and mm-hmm. what's the flour? Just regular AP flour? Regular AP flour and all of the Sugar, delicious yeah, all the kind of stuff, all spices, so. yeah. And then let's go over to the cheesecake. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone loves dolce de leche, right? Uh, and you can put it, you can make it out of anything, it seems like to me, right? So yeah. Do you use uh, condensed milk for yours? We do. We um, Is that the only way to get a classic dolce de leche flavor? It's the only way to get the dolce de leche consistency. Um, if you boil the sweetened condensed milk in the can, uh, it takes forever, like three or four hours. Um, in the can? In the can. No, no um, puncture, no nothing? Nope. Okay. Lid on, in a pot, just boil it three or four hours, <clears throat> let it cool... And then when you open it, it should be nice and caramelized, but really, really stiff um, without adding any kind of dairy, uh-huh. other dairy or anything to it. And that's what that's now an ingredient in your cheesecake. Yep. Instead of sugar? We still put some sugar in it, uh-huh. but most of the sugar, uh-huh. yeah, comes from the, the Dolce de Leche. First time I ever had that, it was at the Pink Door restaurant a million years ago, 30, 38 years ago. <laughs> I know you're not even nice. 38 years old, but um, remember, Nancy, uh, Jackie Roberts used to make Carmelo mm-hmm. just out of um, reduced, condensed, sweetened condensed milk. So yep. it's very, very tasty. It's so delicious. And so then, uh, what's your what's your trick on making a fabulous cheesecake, texture wise? 
Uh, for me personally, uh, the the I won't say best way. My favorite way uh, is pretty much dairy only. I know a lot of people add um, some flour and stuff into their cheesecakes as a stabilizer, but taking that out personally um, makes it creamier for me. It's a little silkier, a little smoother. Doesn't have the the, uh, the texture that you would get from like a glutinous flour. The grittiness, yeah. yeah. I've never even heard of putting flour in a cheesecake. So that's pretty common. It depends on where you're from. Okay. In the Midwest, where I'm from, it's it's pretty common. Uh huh. And what about the classic New York style cheesecake? Is that you don't it's, know? It's similar to this. This okay, is a so New York style, so it's dairy. Only it's really yeah. dense and rich and thick, um, a super super thick batter, and it's yeah, it's all fat and dairy. Now this cheesecake looks a little familiar to me on the bottom. Uh-huh. It looks like the graham cracker crust my mother would have put in a cheesecake. Is it true? Uh, it's not quite graham cracker. It's speculos, but it's close. So speculos is those like those uh, Bischoff like paste cookies, right? Yeah, it's. Um, Essentially, a graham cracker without the graham flour. Uh-huh. It's this the um, flavor is very very similar. Yeah. Do you make your own speculos, or do we you do. cheat and buy a box of honey grams? Never. And we never, never cheat. No. We make all the things. There's no shortcuts for you. I mean, maybe. Maybe. She's not Our giving secrets. up her secrets, is she? <laughs> no. Well, if you want to taste some of Molly's uh, creations, um, Molly, you took over from Brittany Bartolaben a year, a year or two ago now, it seems yep. like, and you are doing a fabulous job, and uh, it's such a treat to walk through our our brand new Dahlia Bakery. You know, we have that huge display area now that we didn't have before, and the other day I had Tara, who bakes the bread over there, and it was just like, oh my God, this looks so good. You should be so proud, and so it's, just, it's the same thing for you. It's it's really looking awesome and tasting great too. That's always that's always a good combination. Up next, we're going to talk a little bit about braising, from uh, cheesecake and apple spice cake to lamb shanks. What a nice combination! On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Kitchen here in downtown Seattle, the Hotel Andra. Uh, Lola, by the way, uh, I don't know if you all know this or not, but we opened Lola last week. It's entering its second week right now, uh, and the breakfast and brunch, and then we're doing a light dinner service uh, in the evening times. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit, I don't know, I think I thought about Lola because of the lamb shanks. Uh, we're going to talk about braising and some techniques that uh, are really helpful, and I think the biggest technique for me is, I can hear all the forks going, you know, we just had... Uh, we just had Molly over from the bakery, and everyone's eating her creations. Now, how are they? Good. So far, so good. Uh, so, braising. So, there's a couple of things to me that are important about braising. One is, it's a little bit like a barbecue, right? Well, I, we always say, grilling is an art, barbecue is a religion. You have to have faith that the smoke and the heat are doing their job, and not just keep opening the lid and all that sort of thing. Kind of the same with braising. Once you get that meat browned, uh, give it a hard sear. Once you do all that, you pretty much put the lid on and then have faith in three hours that when you open the oven, that it's pretty much going to be done. Right? You know what I'm saying, Pamela? I do, but um, the reason I wanted to talk about it today is a lot of times when I braise things, and I think you've been a, 
unfortunate victim. victim of this is that I, I dry it out. And maybe I'm using too high a temp. That would be my guess right off the bat. It's too high a temp. There's also, you know, you can overbraise. People think you can't overcook pot roast, right? That it's just a big, you know, slice of beef. But you can overcook it. Or it can get dry and stringy. Right, so, even though it's still in its uh, moisture. Yeah, yeah, you've just overcooked it, essentially. So. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Tell well, me this 30 uh, years later. To me, uh, braising, you're, you're a queen of braising. You love it. And I love I, it. I don't, I don't remember having anything overcooked. So, so do you put a hard sear when you're braising? Do you yes. put a hard sear on it? What's your favorite thing to braise? Uh, pot roast. Pot roast? Yeah. Have you ever braised lamb shanks? No. Veal shanks? Veal, definitely. Why not lamb? Why are you a lamb hater? <laughs> but I'm going to because this recipe for the lamb shanks with apricots and chickpeas, uh-huh. that is so up my alley. And then it has uh, a carrot salad with cumin and coriander on the side. That would be so fantastic. Contrast. Yeah, it doesn't sound like quite enough colors for you. You are believe in the rainbow of colors. Uh, that's from the New York Times, by the way, which uh, we all consider on this show the best food page in America. So let's I don't talk. Know lamb why shanks. I haven't bought lamb? Yeah, let's let's talk lamb shank. So so typically they're a pound for an American lamb shank. It's a pound to a pound and a quarter, and they're going to take three hours to braise. Now I could put a lamb shank on a barbecue. They're not tough like a beef shank. They don't have the same kind of sinew that a beef shank does. You literally don't have to braise them. If you left that oh. shank on the leg of lamb and roasted it just like you roasted your leg of lamb. You're going to have a little toughness from the sinew, but you're, it's not like you couldn't eat it. Or like a beef shank, you couldn't eat it, right? It's so marbled with uh, sinew and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's just not good. Uh, veal shank, somewhat the same way. But lamb shanks, are, they start off much more tender, so you don't have to braise them nearly as long. So an hour, hour and a half. Veal shank, maybe two hours. Beef shank, three to four hours. Hard sear, hard brown. And I would be curious what Kenji Lopez would say about this. He did that Food Lab book, and he's always turning things upside down. But um, I should have looked at that, too, because he always yeah. does have a different take. So there's two things that I do with, when I'm braising. One is I'll do my, my browning on the shank, and then I'll pull the shank out, and then I'll do my browning on the vegetables. I like to brown and caramelize the vegetables a little bit. Then I pull the vegetables out, put my shanks back in, and I put my braising liquid in and cook the shanks by themselves for the first hour, we'll say, uh, lamb shanks for the first hour in red wine or whatever my braising liquid is. Then I add back my vegetables that are a fairly large cut so that they're perfect when they come out a half hour later. So those are, I think sometimes people think that pot roast is cooked all together the whole time and something's going to suffer. If you cook your potatoes and your carrots the same amount of time you cook your beef pot roast. Oh boy, you'd have mush. You have mush and so many people, my mother had mush. That's what she did. So, uh, so many people forget that you have to layer the ingredients into the pan when you're braising. Next, you pull it out of the oven. Typically cuts like a beef shank, veal shank, lamb shank have a lot of fat in them. And you've rendered that fat out, so now you have to deglaze your, your broth. So that's what I do from there. I take that that's out. That's my favorite part, the deglazing bits. Well, you have to get the fat off first. Then you deglaze. I've been lazy about that. Well, it depends on what you like. If you leave the fat on, it becomes cloying and sticky on your palate. And your sauce is literally over-fatted. You can take that same sauce 
once you defat it and then add butter back in at the end and emulsify it, it won't have that same kind of sticky. Because <laughs> it's the collagen from the breakdown of the tendons and things like that that's giving you that sticky, fatty Yum. kind of uh, thing on your palate. Add so. butter back. Decadent. Well, I'm just saying, not all fats are the same is what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, some fats will give you that, like the collagen from the, from the shank will give you that kind of stickiness on your palate, whereas butter won't. That's all I was saying about that. Pro tip. So I pull that out, defat the broth, and then I put that back in, and then I do my deglazing. I love my flat blade wood spatula for that. Mm. Um, I don't love running metal across metal and things. Even if it's a stainless pan, I don't like that. But I think a lot of people don't know what to do with that flat wood spoon that you can buy, and it's, that's the perfect thing for it, to knock off those delicious bits off the bottom of your pan. And then... I will uh, keep my, my braised meat under a tent of some sort, a foil tent. Then I re- make my reduction. Mm. And if you're reducing and all your vegetables are still in there, they're going to overcook again. So you've got to try and get that out of there. And then put the whole thing back together, pop it in the oven for five minutes with fresh herbs, fresh garlic. You're going to refresh all your braising ingredients. Uh, you want to refresh because uh, all your garlic is cooked out, your herbs are cooked out. Just refresh. And then... Um, Becky knows this. What is that uh, little uh, sprinkle you put on top with parsley and lemon and maybe fresh gremolata? Yeah. Oh, that's the best finishing gremolata. Ref- refreshing gremolata at the end with some chopped herbs, uh, lemon zest, fresh grated horseradish, and just sprinkle that on, and it'll bring out all the flavors that you've so delicately kind of layered in there, and bring them all out at the end. So, da- this recipe is David Tannis, who we love. He recommends. Uh, an overnight chill, and then bringing back to temp. And I've noticed that making soups a lot, if I've got the patience and planning ahead, that there is a different complexity if you eat them the next day. Yeah. Do you think that's a myth? Personally? Yes. Yes, I think that's a myth. <laughs> Secondly, I don't think there's many people with the right refrigeration space to accomplish that. Oh, to do it safely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we would get shut down as a restaurant if we did that all the time. A lamb shank is typically, what, three to four inches around. When I chill something in my walk-in refrigerator, it has to be two inches thick or less. And you have to be able to take it from what that braising liquid is, which is 165 to 185 degrees, maybe even higher, down to 38 degrees within four hours. That's the Mm -hmm. health department guideline and rule, and literally they'll close our restaurant if we don't do that. So I find most home kitchens are not set up for that kind of cooling. And most likely what's going to happen is that when you go back to put that on the next day, it's going to be at about 60 degrees. It's been sitting there for 8 or 10 hours. Hours. Because there's not enough circulation. Your your refrigerator is full, right? So you don't get the air circulation. Think about a convection oven and how the air circulation is. You can turn the oven temperature down because it works so fast. Well, your fridge, when it's full, you can't do that. That's why these big walk-ins are important in restaurants. We have this huge air circulation, big blower fans to chill things quickly. So while that maybe adds a layer of flavor that is interesting, I don't think it's worth the risk when it comes to food poisoning. So that's something to think about. And don't ever put like a big pot of stock or a big pot of soup or anything like that in your fridge and think it's going to cool down properly. It's just not. I, I I have learned enough from you that I usually allow for some time uh, for it to sit out and put it in a bigger, wider. Bigger, pan. wider, but not it, sit out. That's the wrong. 
and no lid. <laughs> well, my wife does that. Okay, so Jackie does that. Uh, we don't have time for this, but she, uh, she's... Well, I'm letting the stock cool before I put it in the fridge. Well, it's been sitting out for four hours. That's the time that you had to get it from boiling to 38 degrees. You've already just let it sit out on the counter. It's like, you're killing yourself here. It's just, it makes no sense. Uh, up next, uh, Pamela has found a fun personality quiz in your local Bon Appetit magazine yeah. to tell you who you are, what you are, and should you still live uh, based on what side dishes you like with your turkey dinner at Thanksgiving. So we're going to check into that on Cairo Radio. South Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Hey, everybody, it's the Hot Stove Show right here on Cairo. Chef Terry is uh, once again taking the week off, as he is prone to do since he retired from his restaurants. Good for him, sort of. You yeah. have been doing some research, <laughs> as you like to do. Um, this time you were in Bon Appetit magazine, and you found a personality quiz. A quiz. Personality quiz. And if I were to say, um, the, the whole idea of the quiz is what? From your personality and how you answer these questions, Bon Appetit is making a recommendation for a new side dish for you to try at Thanksgiving. And so I guess the question would be, does everyone feel like they need a new side dish, or do you like the <laughs> traditional side dishes? Your traditions, new, so half and half. Okay. Maybe you go you both. You want both. Maybe you go both. Which is an element of the questionnaire. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's start this thing. All right, Tom Douglas, we're going to go deep on your personality. Find out more. What's your Thanksgiving side dish personality? First question, how are you feeling about Thanksgiving this year? Like the host with the absolute most? Or just tell me what to bring and I'm there? Or I'll be in a corner with a thousand-piece puzzle? Or when is that again? Hmm. <laughs> well, typically, uh, I feel good about Thanksgiving. It's my favorite food holiday of the year. That and Easter. And... That one I don't get. The ham? Yeah, the ham and the hot cross buns. No way. <laughs> okay, but we got to right. keep going, on, keep going on your on personality. Uh, so it's, I, if I have people come over, I like to organize it. So... Years ago, I felt like I was doing all the work and all the cooking and everything, and then it was like being at work. And then when I st uh, stopped and started passing out jobs, including washing, or rinsing and stacking and all that sort of thing, mm -hmm. I felt so much better about it. So now I look forward to entertaining on Thanksgiving, and yes, I do know what that holiday is. <laughs> you didn't answer the question. What was the question? <laughs> so I'm going to say so, you're yes. like the host with the absolute most. You betcha. Why not? Like, we're going for that. Um, what type of cook are you? Charge up the Roomba. Does anybody have that? The vacuum cleaner? Charge up the Roomba, or I take direction well, or mise en place is my mantra. Well, at Thanksgiving, you're not really a solo cook generally. Like, Jackie loves the mise en place. I love that she does the mise en place, and then it's ready for me. So I, I guess I'm going with number three. The mise en place is super important, and I love it when somebody else does it. But she also has been telling me that you're doing a lot of vacuuming and sweeping lately. So, I do. I vacuum every day, do my laundry. <laughs> Oddly enough, my mother does not live with me, and I do her laundry. All right. P pick your fighter. Salt, fat, acid, heat. And the context on fighter. <laughs> what? What's the context of fighter? Uh, for your strongest element. to the strongest element. To attack the meal. And what are they again? Salt, fat. Acid, heat. Acid. 
Yes. Uh, and the reason I say that, because um, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Some of you do, probably. But I am a gravy god. I've been, I, I have They'll been given the title. remind you all the time. I've been given the title of a god of gravy. And so um, all of those things are really important in my gravy. Uh, the acid, the fat, the salt, and everything to kind of bring that whole meal together through your gravy. The sweet onions mm, you know, that, are browned onion. up, the, that are browned up, the kind of earthy sage, all that deliciousness. So, yeah, I'm all of those things. <laughs> but um, for the purposes of this personality test, you're acid. Your ideal Thanksgiving meal is traditional because change makes you anxious or experimental because no one ever eats the turkey anyway or somewhere in between. I like to riff off the classics. Uh, people eat my turkey. Thank you very much, because I don't overcook it, <laughs> unlike some people in the room. Uh, That's why I do turkey meatballs now. <laughs> yeah. Can't even talk. It just threw me for a loop. Um, so I'm a riff on the classics. Are your people, your guests, into spicy foods? Welp, not really, or we were born to spice. Well, spice is relative, correct? So spice could be from black pepper to hot chilies. So I wish they'd clarify that. But I am not into spicy food at Thanksgiving. I want the, the, the meal to, uh, to have a pace and a thoughtfulness about its complexity. Nice and answer. I like, I like to serve it with a nice fruity red wine, like a Gamay Beaujolais. Oh, that would be delicious. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. Choose your weapon. Salad spinner, stovetop burner, or oven. Who's my stovetop burner? Absolutely. You always go back for more potatoes, a shot of tequila, nothing. I'm saving room for dessert or all the greens. Uh, I go back for gravy and stuffing, so that wasn't on the list. <laughs> so, uh, because, you know, when I make stuffing, Pamela, you should know this, but I make my King Belita stuffing and I bake it in a separate dish. No stuffing inside the turkey. And I bake it in a fairly hot oven so it gets crusty on the outside. The crispy bits. We love oh that. Oh, my God. So good. You're tough on this quiz. On Thanksgiving Day, you're thinking, I want to spend as little time in the kitchen as possible so I can be with my family. No. Or I want to spend as much time in the kitchen as possible so I can avoid my family. <laughs> well, see, there's the difference. There's a basic difference there. My daughter comes over to make pies on Thanksgiving and they hang in the kitchen, as my wife does, as we all cook together. So that's not a re reasonable question. No, because your kitchen is the heart of your house. Yes, absolutely. I think you've just um, made this quiz very complex. So the categories, based on the answers, are the Europhile, because your dream vacation is a tour of the Mediterranean, or the Perfectionist, um, because you always remember which side the forks goes on in your white linen tablecloth is immaculate. Jackie says or, the radical optimist. Your favorite part of dinner is saying what you're thankful for. Uh, each other, you know, obviously. I love that. <laughs> so I think um, the way that you've answered these questions squarely uh, results in you being the radical optimist. So I thought we were going to get to a spot that what <laughs> and, was my that, side? So what is my so, side? Then? So the radical optimist recommendation is a bitter green salad with yes. cranberry dressing. <laughs> With cranberry dressing. With cranberry dressing. If you were uh, a perfectionist, it would be cacio pepe roasty. Which Gross. looked Really? It looked fantastic. Well, I'm sure it looks good, but Brown not on crispy. Thanksgiving. 
And um, for the euro, oh, for the side, oh, so, oh, for yeah, the yeah, side, yeah, yeah, for the side. And for the euro file, the dish would have been the spicy chorizo stuffing. Well, I think you got me right. <laughs> the optimist. So well, I can't recommend the Bon Appetit site highly enough. It's so interactive and fun and and great. Uh, how did you grade out? What was your? I was the Europhile spicy yeah. chorizo stuffing. Really, yeah. I'm surprised by that. <laughs> Hmm. Sean, uh, how do you feel like you would have come out on that test? Um, I usually just show up with a 12-pack of alcohol uh, whatever, uh, Thanksgiving. You know what's I, so sad about that, Sean? Is that a lot of things. By saying 12-pack, it tells me exactly. Because I drink six. Yeah. I want to be able to have some to yeah. share. But too. wine does not come in a 12-pack, <laughs> nor does whiskey. No, but, you know, yeah. give it time. But maybe, White Claw maybe. does. Is that what you bring, Sean? Well, you know, I... Like to change it up, but you know, white claw. The lime is in season now. Citrus fruits, winter citrus. Uh, yeah, we're not being judgmental on you at all. Don't worry about it. Did you order your that. turkey yet? I did. Where do you order it? Don and Joe's Meats in the Pike Place Market. And what? And what do you specify? Fifteen pounds, eighteen max. Because I don't like an overly big turkey. I don't. I'd rather have two fifteen pounders than a, like a twenty eight pounder. Are you going to spatchcock it this year? I'm not. But here's the sad part about that. I've been buying my turkey at Don and Joe's for 40 years, and he just announced that he's selling his business. It's very so sad. So I, I actually ordered it three weeks ago because I didn't want to miss my last Don and Joe's turkey. Did he find a buyer yet? He did not. No. He did not. We, we need to find him a buyer so that we don't lose the last meat shop in the Pike Place Market. Anybody? Anybody here? Butcher, in the- a life of butchery. <laughs> You know, uh, you and I gave, were giving this corporate group a tour of the Pike Place Market the other day, and um, it reminded me so much. I was down in that little swallow, hollow, whatever you want to call it down there, where Nancy Nipples is at the creamery and that whole area, and it reminded me so much of Crystal Meats. Remember when, yes. when I first moved here, that was a horse meat meat shop you uh, do. back in the uh, late 70s. Yeah, that was uh, all they sold was horse meat. So it was um, it's so funny to see how that place is. Sort of morphed. I mean, there's so many old businesses there, but there's some new little the ones pick, popping up. Little pickle, the little pickle guy. place was super Cute. fun. Yeah, Shy yeah. Giant yogurt. Yeah, nice. Really, uh, if you haven't explored the Pike Place Market lately, it's a good time. The crowds aren't there anymore. It's got nine levels uh, across the street, up and down the alleys. It's just really a, it was a reawakening for me because. More recently, last few years, I've been a, a top-level shopper, like that main drag. And I just haven't explored much recently down, down in the depths, the hollows. But you didn't find my favorite, the Museum of the World's Largest Shoe. I did not. I, I missed it. It's incredible. I thought it was a shoe. It turns out it's a painting or something. What is it? I, I can't tell you. I'm going to take you there. Okay, fine. But you have up to next, take a quarter. Up next, two lucky winners here in our audience are going to join me. Um, I believe they're going to acquiesce to being being losers i'm not sure uh right here the rub with love tasty trivia challenge on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm welcome back to the hot stove it's tom douglas and it's the rub with love tasty trivia challenge brought to you by rub with love spice rubs they're handcrafted at my warehouse out in ballard versatile sauces and mustards that add a flavorful kick and a whole lot of love to just about any meat, fish, or vegetable. Look for Rub With Love products at Far West Sports in Fife. 
Duval Hardware, and of course at uh, Don and Joe's Meat Market in the Pike Place Market, which we were just talking about. Our prize today, Pamela, and who is our winner? And who are our players? Our prize today is my beloved Harvest Trio that's got the roast rub, the veggie rub, and the turkey rub. So adorable. Uh, We've got uh, three contestants. Each is going to get five questions. Two from our live audience, Becky and Jim, against Tom. And I'm going to start with Jim. Ready to rumble? I'm ready. Now, remember, the loser has to pay for shipping, and sometimes it tops $7.50. But the ship would up be for this? to someone in the room. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I'm up for it. All right. Uh, Jim, what is considered to be the oldest vegetable? Ooh, Ooh, that's a good question. I thought you said these were easy. Yeah, she's not talking about me, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the turnip. Oh, I like the answer, but it's a pea. The pea family. Uh, marzipan is made from which nuts? Almond. Yes. In a New Orleans classic bread pudding, what liquor is poured on top? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, that it is could a go tough so many one. ways here, Jim. I yes. Mean, don't mess this one up. Uh, I'll go with rum. Bourbon. Oh, of course. The, the small edible pieces of a pomegranate are known as what? This is very hard. Seeds. Very botanical. <laughs> Seeds. Arrows. A R I L S. What does arrow mean? The small, small edible piece animals. of a pomegranate. <laughs> uh, which uh, fruit contains more vitamin C, kiwi or oranges? It'd be the kiwi. Yes. Really? That's surprising to me. Too correct. Yay. Way Yay. to go. Way to go, Jim. Way to throw it for us. Becky, potatoes, turnips, carrots. No, I'm just going to say this for one second. Don't look. Becky is one of our Uh-oh. top performers at our summer camp. I know. So this is not a fair fight. Let's see if I've been paying attention. <laughs> no whining. No whining, Douglas. Potatoes, turnips, and carrots are all considered what types of vegetables? Root vegetables. Yes. The are you sure? South, <laughs> the South American vegetable, cassava, is also known as what? A root vegetable, and it makes uh, a really nice flower. Um, more specific in the root vegetable... Nightshade? No. A specific name of the vegetable that we would call it. A yam? Yes. <laughs> uh, which food is made from the skin and bones of animals? More food ingredient. Like a, a stock? Should we give her that? It's oh, gelatin. Yes, I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Point five. Woo-hoo. Flour. <laughs> Flour cooked with fat is known to make what? Roux. Yes. What spread is common in Australia to add to toast and crackers? I've never had it, but it's Vegemite. Yay! <laughs> Four correct. Screaming into the lead. Now it's time. Does it count if you've never had it? Oh. So uh, just so uh, our listeners know, see, that's what you learn here at the hot stove. You learn how to kick my butt in trivia. It's just so, just so. It's, wor- it's, it's worth, worth it. coming yeah. just for that. Uh, chimmy- Tom, you yes. ready? Yes. Chimichurri sauce originated in which country? 
Argentina. Yes. Uh, the popular drink matcha originated in what country? Japan. You are trying to keep up with Becky today. Which Chinese dish literally means assorted pieces? Stir fry. <laughs> <laughs> no. Chop suey. Chop suey. What is the only vitamin not found in an egg? Is it the egg white or the egg yolk that's not found in? <laughs> Either. Either. It's the egg in its entirety. What vitamin? I'm going to, I heard the audience say A, B, C, and D. So, um, Someone had the right answer. I'm going to go C. Yes! One, two, three, four. Okay, which one? Mm, okay. Do you want something about a, 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 a Chinese farm or a UPC scanner as your final question? <laughs> I will say a UPC scanner. In 1974, what was the first product scanned by a UPC scanner? Okay, Chinese vegetable or Chinese farm. Uh, let's see. 1974. That was a good year for. Um, that was a good year for grocery stores like the AMP and things like that. So the first thing scanned was milk. Oh, very good sense of reasoning, but it was Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Gum. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> Becky's the winner today! Yay! Way to go, Becky, traitor. Dun, dun, dun. I'm so happy to present you with the Harvest Trio. And I'm out. Yay! You know why Pamela likes that trio so much is that she is credited with developing our veggie rub which has become our second bestseller outside of the salmon rub. And so uh, she's very, she loves giving it away. She hates when we make money on things like that. Right. <laughs> it's so darn versatile. Why? What, what makes it so versatile? It's got a range of flavors that's perfect on uh, chicken, pork, anything that's boring. You put veggie rub on it and boom. Comes to life. Springs to life. <laughs> it's coriander, garlic, onions, chilies, you name it. So... Oh, well, that was fantastic, Pam. I'm so happy that uh, <laughs> Becky won. Me too. Sort of. If you want to be part of the show like Becky, you can join the community on Facebook or come right here and uh, join us here in the morning and have a breakfast sandwich, and I promise not to cough on you next week. Uh, you're listening to us on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sound and production by Sean McFadden. And our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Thank you.